Hey out there, everybody. It's Movie Geeks United. We thought that we would put together a little show here, our quarantine episode. Quarantine special were, edition, right? <laughs> yeah, of which there will probably be several. Let's talk about some movies. You know, you and I had an interesting conversation the other week where we were talking, or I think I brought up that I I miss the every week having a... a I didn't realize it at the time, but every week having kind of like a so-so movie come out, um, <clears throat> which happened, especially in the early nineties mm-hmm. where this just deluge of films would uh, come out every week. And a lot of them were so-so or bad. And there was not really the, the internet back then. So, you know, you didn't get uh, incensed about it. It was just a part of movie going. Sometimes you just want to see a movie and it didn't matter how great it was. And there was something disposable there. So you just took it in and didn't complain. Um, and I kind of, uh, I kind of miss that period of time. I'm wistful for it. Maybe it's more being wistful for my youth, but uh, that's not the time we live in now. A lot of these were lower mid budgeted movies and uh, the studio that was responsible for most of them, the production company was Hollywood pictures. So I said, Hey, it might be good for us to pull out their release, their releases during that period of time and just run through them and talk about them a little bit. So I have that list right now. Awesome. <laughs> I pulled it up too. That's so funny. Great minds think alike. So I'm right there with you. Mm-hmm. So we won't talk about like all hundred films, but we'll go through some highlights that it should bring back some memories for you guys. But the uh, Hollywood pictures, uh, they were Disney company, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. And they, they started out strong because I think their first film credit was arachnophobia in That's 90. Right. And that was, that was decent. That was good. I rewatched that recently. Pretty big hit. And it works. There's even a, a video on YouTube where someone goes to all the locations of arachnophobia and most of them look exactly like they did 30 years ago. <laughs> it was really shot in like a small kind of quaint little town in California, I don't know, maybe an hour, hour and a half outside of LA. Uh, and it, it, everything does kind of look small townish picturesque in, in the, that town. Yeah. I, uh, I have not seen arachnophobia since it came out in a theater 30 years ago. I, I, I saw it the one time really enjoyed it. And you know how sometimes you just do that. You see it, you're like, well, that was really entertaining. And you just never get back to it for whatever reason. Yeah. And time goes away and, and you don't intend for that to happen. It's like, oh, 
get around to that. Never did. So, um, yeah, I rewatched it. It's good. It's enjoyable. And I, I, I'm petrified of spiders, but I thought it was very, uh, mm-hmm. it was very successful in that vein to call upon that fear. And at the same time, the movie had a level of playfulness that took the edge off that a little bit. Yeah. How does it compare to, say, Kingdom of the Spiders with William Shatner? What do you think? Kingdom of the Spiders is uh, Kingdom. That movie petrifies me, too. There are moments in that movie with, like, the mother trying to save the little girl being eaten alive by spiders on her front lawn. And, oh, my God. That movie is actually kind of terrifying. <laughs> yes, it is. It really is. Very effective, I would say. Arachnophobia is more like a boo movie, mm-hmm. like a creepy crawly, like a ugh kind of experience. Yeah. Well, and it has the shat too. I mean, Kingdom of the Spider. So that's uh, yeah, that's true. And this was at a time when his career was kind of uh, taking a shat. So right. <laughs> this was in between. Let's not forget. This is this is at the point uh, when his biggest, I guess, his highest profile gig was doing the voices on the animated Star Trek. So. <laughs> wow yeah he wasn't exactly uh high in demand at that time many many years before priceline call came calling it always fascinates me that all, all these movies have wranglers like that became a common position uh, in movies mm-hmm. like whether you're spider wrangler or uh cockroach wrangler or any kind of like insect wrangler for these different movies there are people that love these insects and they just nurture them and you know and then i heard that in um there was a big spider scene in the believers that voodoo movie Mm -hmm. with martin sheen and yeah helen shaver had this scene where she had spiders on her face or something and she was talking about it on the tonight show and she said yeah they put the spider wrangler put the spiders in the refrigerator and carson was like why would they do that and he said well because it made them sleepy and <laughs> much, much less inclined to attack. Huh? Wow. <laughs> it's so comforting when someone's about to put spiders on your face. Anyway. Yeah. Well, what was the story about creep show? I think uh, I saw a documentary about the making of creep show where they talked about, um, uh, they wrangled all those cockroaches for that sequence with E.G. Marshall, where he's locked in that he's the germaphobe locked in the apartment, and he gets uh, an infestation of roaches. And they uh, they interviewed the wrangler in the documentary, and he said, uh, "Well, you know, uh, we tried to get as many of those roaches, uh, put, you know, we tried to take as many of them with us when we left, but uh, we didn't quite." take them all because uh, <laughs> they got reports <laughs> later on that there were that there were some still running amok you know, oh, wow. i guess they were breeding or whatever you, you so. can't it must be very delicate you can't help but step on some i mean if you want to work on that set mm-hmm. you know walk around it uh you got to step you know there's got to be some casualties sorry uh, uh the humane animal society or whatever but uh yeah. it's inevitable we just lost a couple right there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what other Hollywood pictures taking care of business? Mm-hmm. Good old Jim Belushi, right? Oh yeah, Jim Belushi. He there was a there was a few seconds there where he had a career. Our in uh, film, I remember going to see um, K Nine. 
Yeah. And people people love that movie and they love Belushi in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's good in that. Um, I always liked him. I thought he was perfectly cast in that John Candy film directed by Chris Columbus, Only the Lonely. Mm. Uh, he plays John Candy's uh, buddy in that movie. And uh, he's just, that, that's such a great, great movie, I think, that's very uh, kind of forgotten from the early 90s. Uh, it's not a Hollywood Pictures. It's a 20th Century Fox. But I think John Hughes produced it or something. But that's just a really, really sweet, effective movie. And he's he's really good in that. And I need I, to check that out. Yeah. You know, he, and he, he made he, John, uh, James Belushi made some interesting career moves. I mean, about last night was a big breakthrough for him and it was true. a quality piece of material. And then, you know, James Belushi pops up in a Polanski movie, uh, the, the ghostwriter movie. I'd forgotten about that. Yes, he does indeed. And, yeah, and who else? And he worked with David Lynch a couple, a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. In the Twin Peaks revival, I think, didn't he? I think so. Yeah, he turned up a yeah. couple of times there. Interesting. So anyway, taking care of business. I, I have no memory whatsoever. I know the poster. It's an Arthur Hiller movie, and Hiller means quality. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. uh, he brings new meaning to the word director for hire. That's for Yes. Sure. <laughs> Yes, over the hiller. Yeah. Uh, hey, <laughs> the first big uh, bomb, uh, and this was kind of notorious, only because of the romance involved at its at the center of it, which was the marrying man. Mm-hmm. That was a Hollywood picture. It was um, Alec Baldwin, Kim Basinger. Yeah. This was a period of time when they met, and their love was blossoming, and they just exuded sweaty sex. meet charlie pearl he had it all money i'm very good at inheriting money i may be the best in my field charm oh charlie and the daughter of the most powerful man in hollywood adele horner i've been out with every starlet from paramount to warner brothers but that was before i met adele Is it having $30 million that makes you so cocky? In six short days, Charlie and Adele were going to be married. I wish we didn't have to wait six days. Every fills with jealousy. Sometimes it's it's good to wait. For example. I don't blame them. Goodness knows. But a funny thing happened on the way to the altar. Charlie Pearl fell head over heels for a big-time gangster's girl. She's Bugsy Siegel's girl. Is there any way that I could see you later on tonight? Sure. If you don't mind looking up from a grave. Some things are worth risking your life for. And uh, not a happy, uh, coherent uh, film set, I don't think, that one. Well, you know, there's a lot of pheromones running rampant there, probably. So, <laughs> sounds like it. Yeah. I never saw it, actually. Poor Kim Basinger. She had the chops. She just didn't, you know, LA Confidential, obviously. I don't have to right. tell anybody about that. Um, everybody that's listening probably already knew where I was going with that one. But, I mean, you know, there are other things on her resume that are. Uh, was it door in the floor? Isn't that the one she's in with? Um, yeah. 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 Who else? Yeah. That's why LA confidential felt like such a revelation because she had been 
relegated to to movies that that didn't didn't call upon anything special in her. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, I say that, but I actually think that the best movie on her resume is a movie that completely relied on her sexuality, which was nine and a half weeks. And I'm an unabashed fan. Oh, sure. Movie. I'm right there with you. I think that's a lot more of a deep experience than, and I, no pun intended, like a, <laughs> deep, a, a film of more depth than people give it credit for. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the movie that um, the Fifty Shades movies wished they could be. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Yeah. I always... Yeah. Fifty Shades. Fifty Shades is a joke, but I will watch the Fifty Shades movies. Mm-hmm. I find that there's a couple of franchises that. If I just want to watch movies to pass the time, mm-hmm. if I'm looking on my letterbox and I'm saying, oh, gosh, I'm not averaging a movie a day. I need something really easy. I'll watch Friday the 13th because there are nine or ten of them. And then I'll watch uh, the Fifty Shades movies because the, the, the time goes by. They're just crap enjoyment. Yeah. Anyway. So how many are you up to as a side? I'm just curious this year so far. I don't know. I'm not a movie a day by any means. I'm like uh, 60 or something. I'm up to 95 for the year. God, you overachiever. <laughs> well, I, I'm not quite up to one a day either, but, you know, I'm trying. This is actually, when I think Hollywood pictures, this is one of the movies that I think of as being indicative of that whole period of time in movies. And that's one good cop. Could you get more disposable than one good cop? I know. And this of course was the time period when Michael Keaton was between the Batman film. So, you know, he had a little time off there and I guess everybody was kind of waiting with bated breath to see what he would do. Cause he proved he had some serious chops with clean and sober, obviously. Mm. And so here was a good opportunity for him to, really do something with some you know kind of because he's doing these these big studio franchise films and you think he would take a smaller film with some really uh, you know something along the lines of cleaning sober and this and it just doesn't quite do it Artie Lewis is a giving husband when we got married I thought great I took it for granted what a miracle it is a great partner <laughs> You know, for you. No, darling, please, you go. Yeah, come on, come on. A good cop. They told you this was strictly voluntary, right? Yeah, right. He never thought he'd lose his partner. Go, 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 go. We lost a good man. Daddy had an accident. I want my daddy. He never thought he'd have children. He made me legal guardian of his kids. Means you got to take care of them, look out for their welfare. Trust funds, adoption, foster home, the whole bit. We forgot to say goodnight to you, Uncle Artie. Oh. He never thought about being a father. I can't imagine feeling any more for a kid of my own than I do for these little girls. What are you hiding? Hmm? What do you got? Now it's his life. You can't keep him here. You can't keep him if Rita's working. All right, we know all that, all right? It's a family he can't afford to keep. Don't worry, Uncle Artie. But can't bear to lose. We gonna let him take our girls away, Artie? Now he's torn between the corruption he sees. You know, Felix, you figure that little home. Clifford Ricks is making what? 80 G's a month. And the love he's discovered. You've been all my life. Between the injustice he feels. Yeah, he's fair, some low-life dirtbag. Has millions of dollars when other people can't put a roof over their heads. 
clean and sober used Michael Keaton's dramatic uh, prowess perfectly mm-hmm. because it didn't dismiss what makes Keaton such a great presence in comedies. Yeah. Um, it uh, because he has this great manic energy about him and clean. And that's what makes him so funny in comedies and a movie like uh, clean and sober called upon that perfectly, but movie, even Batman didn't call upon it. And I think it was a lesser performance for it, but one good cop is another one that doesn't call upon it that well. It makes me think of Jason Bateman because he's an actor. I like a lot and I love his series Ozark, Mm -hmm. but he has such great comedic instincts in, in film and Ozark because it's a dark drama strips him of all of that. And as a result, by not letting him call upon his strengths, he's kind of a blank in, in the series and because it deprives him of all of his personality, you know? And I think that uh, Michael Keaton in a drama that doesn't utilize his specific skills does the same thing. Yeah, this yeah, one good cop. I would I would agree. It's the poster child for what Hollywood Pictures was doing during those early days of the company when they yeah. were. Uh, and they had like four releases in 1991, and one of them I remember the run was the one that had um, Patrick Dempsey. Uh, this was before Grey's Anatomy, of course, when they were trying to figure out what to do with him, and it was. I just remember it being kind of middle of the road. <laughs> so mm. I saw it. Well, TV, TV finally found out what to do with Patrick Dempsey. Yep, they sure did. There's some, there's some actors that there are good actors, but they, they're more palatable on the smaller screen. Mm-hmm. He's a good example. Yeah, although he is pretty effective in Can't Buy Me Love. That's a, that's, that's pretty good. I have to admit. You have a soft, soft spot for Can't Buy Me Love. I do actually. I uh, and it's probably partially tinged with nostalgia because I was uh, I was about the age of his character when that um, movie came out so I kind of <laughs> it was giving me ideas because <laughs> uh, my love life was nothing to write home about so like, oh, this guy's renting a girlfriend maybe I should try that idea so I kind of wish I was that guy at that time mm. you know it was a lot of uh, fun <sighs> V.I. Warshawski, Kathleen Turner. Oh, yeah, boy. That was a notorious bomb from the early 90s. It, I think it cost a, quite a bit of uh, quite a bit of scratch they spent on that movie, I believe, right? <laughs> scratch. <laughs> W-A-R. Private investigator. S-H-A-W. You don't look much like a private detective to me. S-K-I. Who are you? Warshawski. V.I. Warshawski. Kathleen Turner is V.I. Warshawski. What does V stand for? Virtuous. And the I? Inquisitive. Looking for something? Just because she's a woman. You know how hard it is to get blood out of cashmere? Doesn't mean she's always a lady. Get to the point, bonehead. Sorry about that, guys. You know what this is? It's a nutcracker. You know what we do with nutcrackers? Kathleen Turner was the shit back then, man. I mean, she, she was, was uh, you know, she was big. And uh, Via Warshawski, I'm sure, uh, was a contributing factor to her downfall of popularity. But, um, yeah, if you think War of the Roses and Romancing the Stone, and she was, uh, she was one of the big premier actresses at that time. Mm, sure was. 
body heat. Accidental tourist. Is, yeah. Yeah. Good actress. Um, the hand that rocks the cradle was probably uh, the biggest hit that they had, at least at that time, which was 92. Yeah. That was a big surprise hit. That grossed more than arachnophobia. Mm hmm. Yeah, that played for months in theaters. I remember that was uh, playing at least until springtime, and it came out in January. It's one of those, you know, they released it in the dead of winter when they expected nothing from it, I think. You know, the dumping ground. And I think it was playing clear through March, from what I remember, if memory serves mm. correct. Yeah, Curtis Hansen. Mm -hmm. He was a movie. very effective director. Uh, he, he knew how to do those sorts of things. He was very adept. Yeah, and with, uh, yeah, thrillers. and then you think when you look at the cast list of some of these movies, you see you think '90s. I mean, they so epitomize '90s. Whether it be Rebecca De Mornay or Annabella Sciorra in *The Hand That Rocks the Cradle*, or somebody like um, Anthony LaPaglia and *One Good Cop*. I mean, yeah, you know, it really takes takes you back to that period of time where they were all front and center. Yeah, Lorraine Bracco and *Medicine Man*. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, directed by John. I mean, but uh, Lorraine, Lorraine, yeah, Lorraine Bracco at least has. She's kind of in the pantheon because she's in Goodfellas. Yes, you know that kind of sets her apart because she's in a true time vault movie. Mm -hmm. She really is. Yeah, I was no fan of Medicine Man. I must admit, I, I thought that was a real slog and a big, a big come down from such a great action director as John McTiernan. I. Uh, yeah. I remember seeing that and I thought, God, this is interminable. <laughs> and it's about a guy trying to interminable. That's uh, maybe not the right word. Cause it's about a guy trying to find a cure for cancer. So, <laughs> but uh, I just remember it, but he could not find a cure for boredom. No, that was a real, Oh, what a misfire. You know, Sean Connery didn't have Sean Connery agreed to do, um, the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen? Is that what he did? Um, yeah, it was a couple of years after that, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the reason why he did that was because they gave him the script for The Matrix for the Larry Fishburne part. And he didn't understand it. And so he turned it down. And then The Matrix becomes the biggest thing ever. So when he's given the script to the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen and he doesn't understand it, he decides to do it anyway because he doesn't <laughs> want to make the same mistake twice. So Sean Connery, a brilliant actor, the, the you know genius man, I'm sure. But uh, you know his his choice of material was spotty at times, which brings us to Medicine Man. You know? Yep, that's a uh, yeah. Every now and then he could be a little tone deaf <laughs> with his with his choices. Um, yeah. Well, what about blaming on the bellboy? That's another one. Early March, nineteen ninety-two, and that that cast just screams early nineties. I think you got to Dudley Moore and Patsy Kinsett and Bronson Pinchot. Well, uh, <laughs> <laughs> that just that says it all right there. Man, and Brian Brown. Brian Brown. Brian Brown. Yeah. Remember Brian Brown? FX. And, yeah. yeah, which is a good, good, effective movie. And uh, who was he married? He was married to that actress that he was always with in those. And Rachel, uh, she she was a star of After Dark, my sweet Rachel. What is it? <laughs> I'm drawing a blank. Our, our audience, is, they're screaming at us. The ones that know Rachel Ward. Rachel, Rachel Ward? Ward. Yes. 
That's right. Yeah, they were married for a while, I think. Yeah. <clears throat> but she's not okay. one that screams early 90s. She screams early 80s. So. <laughs> Rachel Ward? Yeah. Because she was in the Against All Odds, too, wasn't she? Yeah, that's right. And Dead Men okay. Don't Wear Plaid and Sharky's Machine. Patty Kinsett has an official website. Let me go. Oh, mm, hello, Patsy Kinsett. <laughs> <laughs> there she is. We can actually contact her. Look at that. I uh, I really liked her in Lethal Weapon too. I have to admit, yeah, me too. Ill-fated love interest of Mel Gibson. That was uh, that was the first time I actually took notice of her. Although I know she had been in several things before that, but that was the first time I actually took notice of her. Yeah, I like Lethal Weapon too. Mm -hmm. And then they uh, a Dolly Parton movie. You know, no film slate is complete without a Dolly Parton movie. Oh yeah. We got straight talk, straight talk, straight talk. <laughs> Dolly Parton plays a relationship like a radio guru that has her own show or something. And it's a, it's a tender romantic comedy with the, <laughs> with the you're going. In, enviable pairing of Dolly Parton and James Wood. <laughs> Sometimes a dog runs the wrong squirrel up the right tree. Pardon me? Shirley Kenyon is bringing the common touch to her new job. WNDY, hello. I know you've been holding and you should be grateful. Everybody else got cut off. She's just what Chicago Talk Radio's WNDY needs. They just don't know it yet. So who did you hire to destroy my ratings now? Until a simple wrong turn leads to a case of mistaken identity. This must be a girl. I just came in for a cup of coffee. And land Shirley in the wrong place. Ten seconds. At the right time. I want you to tell him that you're doing the very best you can, that you can do just fine on your own. Then grab your bowling bag and get the hell out of there. Now Shirley's got everyone talking. Who are you? It's Dr. Kenyon. Who the hell is Dr. Kenyon? You just hired her. I didn't hire her. I hired Dr. Kimball. Kendall Kenyon. They absolutely love you. The hottest new personality in Chicago radio is Dr. Shirley. There's just one problem. Wait a minute, this says Dr. Shirley here. Oh, right. The boss wants a doctor, so that's what you are. It's not true. Captain Kangaroo wasn't really a captain. He wasn't even a kangaroo. You are a doctor of the heart. I want to publicize the hell out of her. Mm -hmm. Ads, promos, billboards. I don't want you ever, don't talk about your past at all. Milo, I'm telling you, there's a story here. One day she's on a bridge willing to risk her neck for 20 bucks, and the next day, practically, she's Chicago's answer to Dr. Joyce Brothers. Uh-uh. It smells. You're wasting your time, Jack. And when a reporter wants the scoop, he'll go right to the heart of the matter. What kind of doctor are you? I'm a doctor of the heart. You're really interested in me, aren't you? I want to know everything about you. I have a bad track record with men. What, a, what an interesting on-screen pairing that is. Yeah. I'm but, you know, James Woods had nothing but has nothing but great things to say about Dolly. Everybody has nothing but great things. To, apparently, she's just a delightful, authentic person. Yeah, I, that's what I've always. That's why I've always what I've read. It, um, I was reading Kurt Reynolds' autobiography after he passed, and there's a whole chapter on their uh, 
making when they were making best little whorehouse in Texas. And so according to him, she said before they shot one frame of film when they first met, she said, well, I know you're attracted to me and I'm attracted to you. So let's just go ahead and get this over with. <laughs> he said, so they, they basically just started an affair right there. According to what he said, Wow. <laughs> she was just so, it was such a straight shooter. Um, wow. Funny. It's good. So it was good to be Burt Reynolds at a yeah. time at a certain time. Uh, I'm going to skip over some of these. Yeah, please do. Because they're even too uh, forgettable for this uh, these purposes. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, it is, I guess, worth mentioning that they did have a, a, a series of those um, Pauly Shore films that really scored big for them financially. I'm not saying that there are anything you can recommend, but, you know. <laughs> but they did. What What's the one Pauly Shore movie you'd most recommend? Oh, geez. You know, I don't know that I've seen any of them all the way through. I've seen bits and pieces of them, but I just, he just annoyed me back, <laughs> back at, back then. He was such an annoying presence. I just couldn't make it through any of them. So I, I don't know that I've ever seen one start to finish. Uh, like I said, just bits and pieces here and there when I was walking in or out of a, a room, but maybe, I don't know, maybe son-in-law that might be the one that, mm. That's a little, and then he did that one about the jury, something. Oh yeah, jury duty. Yeah, jury okay. duty. And uh, of course, Encino Man it, was the big. I think Encino Man, which is on the Hollywood Pictures list from '92, I think that's the one that endures the most. Yeah, he just uh, just didn't quite do it for me, but um, you know, some people just aren't your cup of tea, and so I just I, I knew that, acknowledged it, and moved on. I was. Um, you know, those were the days when I was following Robert Altman's comeback and Woody Allen's career, and so I wasn't. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't have much of a place for Paulie Shore. Paulie Shore. <laughs> well, I'm glad you moved on from that, uh, buddy. <laughs> Wasn't that Woody? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Stranger Among Us came out in '92. This is a Sydney Lumet movie. One of the bombs one of the bad movies from Sidney Lumet's career oh, yeah. uh, was not successful it's about this Melanie Griffith plays a cop that goes undercover in the Amish community is that what it is that's the one kind of it wants to be a witness but uh but audiences were uh regretted the fact that they witnessed it uh <laughs> yeah <laughs> I remember you know the reason why I remember a stranger among us it's because, uh, uh, you know, I was out of high school and I'd started uh, working in the movie theater and I started putting together movies in the in the projection booth. And uh, Stranger Among Us was the first movie I spliced together. Really? And uh, yeah, I screwed it up. Uh, like one of the re- one of the reels was upside down, like the the lighting cue tape I put in the wrong side. So when the movie started, the lights came up like everything <laughs> was wrong. <laughs> There's no work that's feeling, my only, right? It's my only memory of Stranger Among Us. Mm. Um, Pakula. Pakula did a movie for Hollywood Pictures called Consenting Adults. You know, I know that it's, I love Pakula. I know that it's uh, lesser Pakula, but uh, I'd be interested in seeing it again. Yeah, I hardly remember anything about it. Um, I remember seeing it when it when it came out, and um, uh, I just really am drawing a blank on it. And I was yeah, his work. I'm like you, uh, so I probably should go back and and revisit as well. Yeah, erotic thriller with Kevin Klein mm-hmm. and um, what's uh, 
I interviewed her. Mary Mastrantonio. Yeah. Yeah. They got Eddie Murphy to do the distinguished gentleman. Yeah, that which was a big get. Because he had been not a uh, great movie. He'd been doing well, yeah, not 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 a great film, but he I think that was a big deal because he had been exclusively working for with Paramount all through his career. That was the first time he stepped outside of uh he, he left Paramount for another studio. That was a I remember that making headlines. Yeah. Was this the follow is was this Jonathan Lynn's follow up to my cousin Vinny? I do believe so. Yeah. Same calendar year. Mm. So he was a busy guy. I remember Lane Smith being it has some good character actors in it. I remember, you know, James Garner and Lane Smith and Joe Don Baker James and Garner. Wow. Kevin McCarthy and a lot of great people that we uh we know and love. Yeah, and Cheryl Lee Ralph. Yeah. Got a lot of the praise. It's uh, surprising that she didn't Ralph when she read the script, but uh, there you go. <laughs> Uh, now here's a movie from 93 Hollywood pictures that, uh, developed a bit of a cult hit. I know, I know that a lot of the theater people loved it and that was uh, swing kids. I think for a lot of people of a certain generation, they look upon that with a great deal of nostalgia. Yeah, it, it does. It does have that, that reputation. Christian Bale, of course, early appearance by him. Was it a proper musical? Was that what it was? Uh, I want to say that it was, but um, it has been a long time. I remember. I think it was. was like, I think it was a proper musical with complete dance numbers and stuff. Yeah. I think it was. And I remember this was cl- around the time that Christian Bale was also in Newsies, which was that other. that, that- Newsies is the one I'm thinking of, not Swing Kids, okay. Newsies. Yep. Yeah, New- Newsies is the proper musical. Yeah, Swing Kids yeah. is not. That's correct. Now that now okay, that. I got it confused. And uh, you know, Hollywood Pictures was still on a big Melanie Griffith kick with Born Yesterday, where she's remaking the Judy Holiday classic. And this was um, this was Don Johnson with her too. So wasn't it? So it was another kind of mm-hmm. married couple movie. Yeah, it's um, of course the the original play was by Garson Kanan. And it's, you know, the script is by Douglas McGrath, who would go on to collaborate with Woody Allen, you know, with Bullets Over Broadway and some of his stuff. Um, I remember it wasn't generally well reviewed because the original was held in such high esteem by most film scholars and cineasts. So I, I, I actually did not see it, but I just remember it uh, getting comparisons to the original and not favorably so. Billy! Let's go! When a door opens on a plane, you get out! Billy Dawn is new in town. This is Senator and Mrs. Hedges. Senator, good to see yeah, you. Yeah, good to see you. you. Fine, how are you? Billy, this is Senator Hedges. Yeah, that's what he said. She's a woman of obvious assets. What is our responsibility now that the Eastern Bloc has collapsed? Well, when the Bloc collapsed, were people hurt or was it just property damage? And one small liability. Every time she opens her mouth, she says something stupid. Yeah, that's going to make her stand out in Washington. Did you know that Elvis had over 40 TVs? Couldn't we smarten her up a little bit? Since when have you been interested in my brain? Since you started exposing it to the public, it's not easy to make a person over Harry. Wah, 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 wah. 
may be impossible. I don't want some stuffy old tutor. This is Paul Verall. So, how are we gonna smarten me up? We aren't gonna do it. You're gonna do it. Did you see I've got a lot? It's a Luis Manduki film. Yes. He went on to do When a Man Loves a Woman, which I do like. I like it. Yeah, I like that movie a lot. I do too. Okay, Super Mario Brothers, another huge bomb, 93 from uh, <laughs> a, a bomb in, in terms of, you know, infamy, an infamous bomb. Yes. Yeah, directed by a husband and wife team, Rocky Morton mm. and Annabelle Jenkel. Did they do DOA? I want to say they did. Yeah, they did. Yeah. They did. Yeah. Another bomb. <laughs> <laughs> but when did you expect to see bob hoskins in a video game adaptation yeah it's it's classic cheese yeah uh hoskins liguizamo and dennis hopper as the uh the villain right mm-hmm. mm. wow super mario brothers i can't say much about it because i wasn't into video games even back then I so i wasn't either. going to see yeah yeah I can't, I can't, uh, you know, i'll be honest i was uh, i was too busy masturbating <laughs> um, i remember seeing the trailers and i said not for me next guilty of sin so they stayed with sydney lomet uh but unfortunately sydney, sydney lomet uh, did not give them their best his best work uh guilty of sin i did watch this uh last year mm-hmm. and it's terribly disposable uh thriller you know yeah well it's it's written by larry cohen you know so he he usually was known for tossing off scripts very quickly within a a day or two so it's probably one that he basically probably won't speaking of my masturbation he was uh, (laughs) known for tossing off (laughs) call back um (laughs) yeah he it's probably one of those things where he woke up in the middle of the night and wrote that script because he was such a famously fast writer he probably wrote it went back to sleep (laughs) and turned it in the next day (laughs) oh yeah uh fatherhood patrick swayze and halle berry right yeah directed by um daryl root Mm -hmm. root root his name is spelled r-o-o-d-t so is that rude (laughs) (laughs) yeah i don't remember this you know i walked into the because i was working at the theater at the time i do remember walking in the back of the theater and watching like two minutes of it and that's all i saw of fatherhood yeah i uh never saw fatherhood actually deadbeat dad kidnaps his kids from a bus what the movie's about now the next one on the list i did see and uh, i haven't seen again have not seen it since it came out in a theater but the joy luck club that was in september of 93 and i remember that being quite effective i remember it was originally uh, supposed to be directed by oliver stone i believe he wound up producing Mm. and uh quite effective uh, and Wayne Wayne Wang uh, ended up directing mm-hmm. it. That was the big uh, that was the big sleeper of that year. I remember that. Good uh, good good solid movie. I think so too. And it also the Joy Luck Club. I don't know if I've told this story before on the show. The Joy Luck Club constitutes my most my life's most embarrassing moment. <laughs> okay, let's hear it. <laughs> Why not, man? So I'm a theater manager. I need to pass the time away. Uh, so I, during my shift, I 
sneak into the back and I sit in the back row of the Joy Luck Club. And the, it's uh, afternoon, first matinee. The place is filled with old people. That movie was very popular with the elderly crowd. So it's essentially, other than the very back of the theater where nobody wants to sit, it was sold out with old people. And so the movie crescendos with this big uh, emotional climax. And uh, out of the blue, I let out a fart that was so loud. (laughs) (laughs) And the entire audience turns away from their tears and looks back at the source of it. And I just, I snuck out. <laughs> I did not come out of the office for the rest of the day. What a, what a terrible story. I never thought I'd admit. To that story. <laughs> oh, wow. do you have anything to beat that? I don't. You've got me. Okay. You've got me on that one. You have me. Uh, that same year, Hollywood pictures is responsible for one of the most enduring hits of the past 27 years. Yes. And that is tombstone. Mm-hmm. People love tombstone. They do. Yeah. And I don't think they had much faith in this film either. It's another one of those. that just kind of dashed it out there and, and boy, did it have legs. Sure did. Yeah. It was, uh, because it was a very problematic production. Uh, uh, a lot of uncertainty around that production. I remember talking with the, with the actress that Amy um, Nicholson, or I think her name, her name's D- Nicholson Wheeler. She played uh, Kirk Douglas's wife in the movie and she played the love interest in Fletch. Right. Yes. So anyway, George P. Cosmatis, otherwise known as George P. Comatose <laughs> was the director of tombstone mm-hmm. and Cobra, my all time favorite movie. And, uh, he was not really a a very uh, competent director. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, he was let go uh, of the movie and essentially he still maintained credit as the director of the movie, but he was so incompetent that they let him go. Mm -hmm. And effectively Kurt, Kurt Russell, did I say Kirk Douglas earlier? I meant Kurt Russell. Uh, Essentially Kurt Russell took over and uh, directed the rest of it. So a lot of that movie is directed by Kurt Russell. That's the that's the the gossip out there about that movie. Now that's something I did not know. That's yeah, I I've always heard those stories about Cosmatos. But wow, what a cast, man! Right, uh, and sadly, a couple of them are no longer with us. Bill Paxton and Powers Booth yeah. gone, and um, way too. Soon. And uh, Michael Michael Bean. Yeah. <laughs> well, technically, he's it's terrible. It's terrible. I'm so sorry. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I like Michael Bean. He's a great guy. Um, yeah, Jason Priestley was in that movie. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. Interesting. 9021 OK Corral. <laughs> <laughs> you like that? Very okay. good. Uh, all right. So uh, yeah, we could skip over some of these angie with gina davis uh you know i have no recollection i mean i remember the movie it was a female with martha coolidge she was great director Mm -hmm. she was slipping a little bit by that time i think maybe not her fault (laughs) but (laughs) yeah i liked her uh color of night wow color of night oh that was a big so bad it's, it's not even sexy it's so bad yeah that's uh 
I know I've mentioned this anecdote many times on the show, but I'll do it again. What the hell? Uh, it's the one where Ricky Gervais was introducing uh, <laughs> Bruce Willis at the Golden Globes. And he says, you know him from such films as Color of Night, Mercury Rising, and Disney's the Kid. Here he is. Please welcome Bruce Willis. <laughs> oh, Color of Night. Oh, my goodness. He, show, he showed his, uh, his penis in that movie. Mm-hmm. Which was a big deal. Yeah, and there's yeah, yeah, yeah. And there is a longer cut of the right. film on Blu-ray and DVD, which I have not seen. But yeah, I just remember, and this was a big deal because Richard Rush, you know, the stunt man, is considered to be one of the great films of the '80s. You know, mm-hmm. or one of the great films. In, I it, I never warmed up to it personally, but I know a lot of people hold it in high esteem. And I can appreciate that, but this, he had not made a film in 14 years. So it was a big deal. Everybody's like, Oh, it's a new Richard Rush film. He's finally doing something after the stunt man. And there was just so much talk about it. And then it came and it landed with such a huge thud. And he has not been heard from since then. I don't think, I don't think he's done. Yeah. It's difficult to get in touch with him. Mm -hmm. I've tried because he has a movie from, uh, it's a movie from 1970 that I've been trying to get in touch with him mm-hmm. for the series. And, uh, the movie is, um, Oh, uh, getting straight. The Elliot Gould movie. Oh yeah. Yeah. Forgot he was involved in that, but yeah. Billy Ray wrote color of night, Billy Ray, the writer of shattered glass and captain Phillips wrote <laughs> color of night. <laughs> Who'd have thunk it? Wow. Good Christ. Yeah. And whatever <laughs> happened to Jane March? That's a good question. I don't know. She Because they used her in that movie because she became a popular erotic figure from the the, the international film, The Lover. Mm-hmm. Is that the one she did? Yeah, I think so. Terminal Velocity. People people liked Terminal Velocity generally, did they? Or I, I don't uh, have a recollection of it. I remember it being kind of getting mediocre reviews. I... You know, personally thought it was okay. It was tolerable, but nothing I'd want to ever return to. But I guess maybe I'm not remembering it correctly, but it was, was it one of those movies that was blah, but it had a great aerial action sequence that people all talked about. That's correct. Yeah. yeah. Charlie Sheen. Stasha Kinski. James Gandolfini yeah. in an early pre Sopranos role. Of course, the week before that we had quiz show, which was a pretty big deal. Um, that got Oscar nom- Oscar love, some Oscar nominations, and uh, we- that might be. I mean, that that's definitely in the top three best quality movies Hollywood Pictures came oh, yeah. out with. I would think. Mm-hmm. And we thought it was going to launch the career of Rob Morrow, right? <laughs> well, we were wrong. What do you know about this grand jury investigation, Charlie? Oh, I remember Dan mentioned something about this that was awesome. Some wild goose chase. No, a political thing. They talk so fast in that business and half of it goes right past me. Damn. And right. He's really the one to talk to. You know if he testified? Uh, uh, more water. Uh, you can reach him at NBC. Dan Enright. That's interesting. You know, I just watched a documentary on... Uh the ill-fated production of the Island of Dr. Moreau. Oh, that's fantastic. That's great. Which is, which was originated as a Richard Stanley movie yes. before Frankenheimer took over. 
Yeah, anybody who and, that, uh, please watch it, by the way. And Stanley cast uh, Rob Morrow, and he, uh, in one of the leads, may, maybe the uh, maybe the Thulis part, the David Thulis part, I'm not sure. But he was uh, on set, and uh, he sent a message to his agent. He said, look, uh, this isn't going well. I want out of here. I mean, it was such a <laughs> mm. terrible production. Anyway, so there there went Rob Morrow, but he's got quiz show on his resume. I mean, yeah. that's that's enough for most actors. Can't take that away from him. Yep. Tim Allen was a big deal back then, so they came out with the Santa Claus, which is pro- probably outside of Toy Story, his biggest hit, I would think. Yeah, I think you're right. Yep that was uh, that was a big that was a big score for them. Uh, Keenan Ivory Waynes. They brought him in in 94 to do a low down, dirty shame. <laughs> yeah. Early Jada Pinkett film as well. Right. So, right. House guest house guest. Oh, that's Sinbad. Isn't yeah, it? Phil Hartman. Rest in peace. Phil Hartman. Yes. Oh, rest in peace. Sinbad. <laughs> well, both. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Sinbad. Yeah. Never never was someone more aptly named because <laughs> <laughs> because when you when you sit down and watch a, a movie starring Sinbad, the movie is usually both a sin and bad. So. <laughs> this is true. Well, you know, they never quite figured out what to do with Phil Hartman on the big screen. That was another thing too. Mm-hmm. Never could quite he never found the right project. While you were sleeping, while you, let me say that again, while you were sleeping, this <laughs> yeah. is a big hit. Turtle Tob, big hit romantic comedy, grossed one hundred and eighty-two million dollars worldwide on a seventeen million dollar budget. Made uh, when was Speed? What year was Speed? This was her follow-up yeah, to was. Speed, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Very smart career be- move because it. You know, she was the the girl in the action movie, and then she followed it up by being the lead in a romantic comedy, and the romantic comedy worked equally as well. So her career was cemented, really. Yeah, yeah, that was. Uh, I remember that being a very successful movie too. I I remember seeing it, and uh, again, I think that's one of those that I have not seen since it came out in a theater, uh, and and enjoyed it quite a bit. I remember thinking it was it was quite quite good um do you remember this movie the cure the cure no i'm drawing oh yeah 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 brad brad renfro uh two young boys that vow to find a cure for aids together yeah i I, i'm drawing a blank on that one i hate to say no i gotta check that one out what about funny bones with uh it was Jerry, Jerry Lewis. Yes. There was another one that came out around that time. And, and Oliver Platt. Oliver Platt. I always really liked Oliver Platt. I did too. Yeah. I recently went back and watched Bullworth, which is criminally neglected on home video these days. And it's available digitally, thank goodness. And yeah, he's, he's quite good in that. Yeah. Biggest, uh, 
you know, one of their biggest hits was uh, Crimson Tide, Hollywood Pictures in 95. And I think personally that that's a top three movie for them, too. Mm-hmm. I I think Crimson Tide is a most unusual summer action movie because it it's set in a submarine. So there are no traditional action sequences. And really, the tension comes from this back and forth between Denzel and Gene Hackman. Oh, yeah. Who are just. They're similar actors character in that. Yeah. 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 And that they feel like such effortless, uh, character actors that you believe them in anything. And to see two pros like that go head to head, that's the, that's the kick of that movie. Yeah. I like Crimson Tide a lot. I was quite, I was surprised because a lot of those Don Simpson, Jerry Bruckheimer vehicles around that time, they were becoming to me a little formulaic and, uh, so I remember going to see it with a little trepidation and just walking out and saying, man, that was fantastic. And of course it does have some uncredited uh, rewrites for, by Quentin Tarantino, who was obviously a hot commodity at that time. And so that probably helps. I, I don't know how much of the plotting that he, I don't think he had a hand in any, any of the plotting, but some of the dialogue, I think he, he was responsible for yeah, especially there was the, a, a, an exchange late in the picture when they're trying to find out exactly what the message was. Mm-hmm. And that b- kind of brings race into it, yeah. which the movie had avoided yeah. up until that point. Yeah, yeah, but it, it, it does work. And it is still a good film. You can put that on and revisit it, and it, it works. I, uh, I introduced it to my son a couple of years ago. He obviously was not around when it first came out, and he he quite enjoyed it so still holds up oh, i'd love I, I love that line that hackman has in that movie I, I used to be able to quote it but i can't anymore but he's trying to tell denzel washington that you know we have to go on concrete information not little angels or devils whispering in your ear <laughs> he says i'm the commanding officer in this ship now shut the fuck up <laughs> <laughs> it's great it's great makes you it just makes uh, you long for hackman on screen he's oh god yes he oh, was the greatest yep. Now, something that wasn't the greatest was also released in 95 from Hollywood Pictures, and that was Judge Dredd. Oh, yeah. Boy, that brings up, conjures up memories of Dredd. (laughs) (laughs) Really does. That was a comic book, wasn't it? Yeah. And then they redid it in the early two, uh, part of last Mm. decade. They retitled Mm. it Dredd. That was not too bad. I'm not a comic book guy for the most part, but I did see that one. It was pretty fairly effective entertaining uh, but boy this was when sylvester stallone was um i don't know Floundering. Yeah, i was gonna say fumfering <laughs> trying to <laughs> yeah Writ- co-written by steven d'souza who obviously had high credentials with having pinned die hard the original mm. hard and i think he i want to say he had some a hand in predator maybe or maybe he scripted it. I can't. I think he did. And then, uh, you know, I wonder how many Stallone movies were derailed due to his ego. Yes. It was probably a, so- a solid script before he, he got involved. Yeah. <laughs> That's uh, my guess. Uh, now, also that year was a, was another sleeper, uh, which was Dangerous Minds, mm-hmm. a very popular movie. Huge you know, the, and this was a period of time when around these, these years here where 
the whole I'm going to straighten out the school system became a subgenre, whether it be Dangerous Minds or Lean on Me or The Principal. Yeah, there's a lot of those. It's interesting. It's interesting the subgenres that pop up, yeah. and all of a sudden you get a half a dozen of them, and then they just disappear. Mm-hmm. And and they were such they were so there was such a proliferation of them that they actually did a parody film, High School High, with mm. John Lovitz. So you know it's a it's a big deal when there's so many of them they they do, do a parody of them. It's also another another subgenre. That I made was everywhere. Like they made so many movies under the subgenre and then they disappeared. Mm-hmm. The body swapping movies. Oh yeah. Jeez. They yeah. just go on and on and on 18 again. And mm-hmm. uh, what was the one that, uh, that Dudley Moore did with uh, uh, Kirk Cameron? Uh, dream a little dream. No. Uh, no, that's not it. That's something. Else. Sorry. Dudley Moore and Kirk Cameron. They, Dudley Moore was a doctor, and he switched bodies yeah, with Kurt Cameron. I'm trying Cameron. to think of the name of that. What is the name of that movie? <laughs> I'm drawing a blank. But of course, it all emanated from Big, you know, that whole. Mm-hmm. And then, then there was a fairly decent one that Matthew Perry did a few years ago with oh. Leslie Mann. And like Zach Father, Ed- like Son. That's the one we were thinking about. Sorry. That's the one with Dudley Moore? Yeah, Like Father, okay. Like Son. But the one that uh, Matthew Perry did with Leslie Mann and Zach Efron is pretty good. I like it. The one that came out a few years ago. I can't remember what it's called, but it's a good, it's a good feeling movie. Mm-hmm. And Zach, Zach Efron is absolutely the, the best thing about it. He's very good at it. Yeah. He's, he's pretty good when given I can't the right. Remember the, I can't remember the name of it. Do you remember the name of that one? Um, I don't think I saw it. Uh, but see it. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's not like, it's not like Schindler's list. You don't need to see it because it's a classic, but to see it because it's a it's an enjoyable example of that subgenre something that actually works yeah 17 again that's it 17 again and then there was an 18 again that was the george yes. burns one right mm-hmm. yeah wow i guess the title wasn't that original if that were successful would they make another prequel like 16 again would we, <laughs> would we eventually get to the embryonic stage yeah that's a good question anyway dead presidents Dead Presidents, that was the Hughes brothers, right? Yeah, that was their follow-up, much anticipated, to Menace to Society. And mm. I think it was the first film they made after the, their breakout success with that. And, and it, it kind of works. Not not nearly as good as Menace to Society, but it, it has its, yeah, people it like has it, its moments. Right? It's solid enough, I guess. Still in 95, now we get to the Scarlet Letter. Roland Joffe. Gary Oldman, Demi Moore. Yeah, that, I remember that getting horrible reviews. And terrible. It, uh, by the way, it has a terrific score by John Barry, mm-hmm. uh, which, in my opinion, he could do no wrong. Uh, even the worst film is elevated by his work. But boy, just got horrible, horrible reviews. And this was, uh, this was at a time when Demi Moore was not. She was having running into some trouble with her projects. And that was one. It's not a good movie. I mean, no. but you would think that it was a prestige production because you had Joffe and Oldman attached to it. Yeah. Um, but it did it not was. work. I mean, and you you take the erotic lovemaking scene at the center of it. It's just it's so weird. It's like mm-hmm. intercut with this bird in a cage and then it flies away. And then I think there's this little boy that's watching them or something. It's weird. Mm-hmm. 
It's the stuff of my sexual nightmares. Because <laughs> I always picture a bird in a cage and a little boy watching me. <laughs> oh, what were they thinking? Follow anyway, up. speaking of like sexual dysfunction, we have powder, oh, which was yeah. a you know kind of a, a modestly successful movie mm-hmm. on the teen circuit. The only problem is it was directed by a child molester. Yes. Victor Salva. I was going to mention that because uh, I was, by this time I was a projectionist uh, working as a projectionist myself. And I remember there being a big brouhaha about this guy's checkered past. And they were, there were people wanting it boycotted actually. And uh, they, they went on with the release, give them, you know, let people make their own decision. But yeah, it was a, it was a big, a big deal even back then before the, before the era that we live in now, which is yeah more so. It's, uh, and then you look at uh, the elements in powder and consider Victor Salva's criminal record. And you think, you know, the teenage boy that's ostracized and feels misunderstood, but he has special powers and he's hairless. Uh, yeah. You know, yeah, it's uncomfortable. Uh, yeah. <laughs> That's that's not a rewatchable. Mm-mm. No, I have not. I I saw it. Uh, like I said, we it did run in our theater. I remember that, and I remember seeing it then. And I uh, have not since. Now uh, they clearly Hollywood Pictures clearly they knew that their stock and trade were these disposable movies, but they did dip their toes in prestige from time to time. Mm-hmm. Whether it be with the you know the quiz show or one of your favorite movies from nineteen ninety five. Yes, indeed. Nixon, Oliver Stone's Nixon, which I am a tremendous fan of. Um, I, I'm not going to say it's perfect. It does have its flaws, and some of those are, you know, the uh, the Oliver, the natural Oliver Stone tendencies to do what he does. And I'm not going to sit here and <laughs> go by, point by point about all of it. But you, you know, if you've seen the Oliver Stone movies, you know uh, what his foibles can be. But but generally, a a compelling portrait. And a well-balanced portrait of Richard Nixon. Uh, I remember everybody was thinking that he was just going to come in there and it was going to be a hatchet job. And he's very sympathetic to Richard Nixon in the film, I I think. And, of course, it's incredibly photographed by Robert Richardson and his uh, always stellar team of editors. I think Hank Corwin was involved, who also did Natural Born Killers. I think he was involved with the editing. Uh, You know, he just uses all of the cinematic tools at his disposal, you know, varying stocks of film and varying aspect ratios and just, you know, it's just a compelling portrait of, of Richard Nixon and, and Richard Nixon for me is, is, is a figure that I'm endlessly fascinated by. I read every book that I can find on him. He's just, (laughs) just a, a fascinating character. So this, this movie was catnip to me. Anyway. It did. It did embrace the 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 um, complexities of Nixon. I do yes. think Nixon was a very. I think he's one of the most uh, complicated, fascinating figures of the 20th century because I think Nixon was brilliant, and yet his downfall was his his deep seated insecurity. Yeah, it really was, and which is such a human foible. You know, it's you mm-hmm. know. And Shakespearean in a way. It really is. Yeah, absolutely. That's a good way to, to put it. Uh, 
you know, Anthony Hopkins performance, and he doesn't seem like you're the, the choice that you would think of when you think Richard Nixon, you don't think Anthony Hopkins, but he so well embodies the role that when they show footage of the real Richard Nixon yeah. at the end of the film, you're almost thinking to yourself, well, that's not Richard Nixon. He just, <laughs> you, you've just spent three hours. It with- really, you know, he, he, he doesn't look at all like Richard Nixon, but, but, it, and it goes to, I never care if a, if a actor looks exactly like the real life counterpart they're playing yeah. because Mm-hmm. Acting is about capturing the essence of something. It's about zeroing in on some trait and capturing it in a truthful way. And that's exactly what Anthony Hopkins does in that. Yeah. And I don't think I made myself clear. What I meant was uh, when you spend three hours, three plus hours with Anthony Hopkins as Richard Nixon, and you see the real Richard Nixon, you're more inclined to think that the Anthony Hopkins, Richard Nixon is yeah. the real Richard Nixon. <laughs> yeah. 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 Because you, you see, you see into his soul, you know, that's yeah, one of right. actors especially right. gifted to, to provide us. Yes. And I also think that a lot of times it's a disservice to the work of a performance when you reveal the real life person at the end of it. Mm-hmm. You know, I think they did that with what's love got to do with it, where Angela Bassett was a powerhouse as Tina Turner. And then you close with the real Tina Turner and you're like, no, no, no. I want the illusion that I just spent two hours with the real Tina Turner. Mm-hmm. You're dismissing what this actor brought. Yeah. yeah. So, Mr. Holland's Opus, shall we go there <laughs> to the next one? <laughs> it was a big movie for Richard Dreyfus. It was successful. I, I, you know, and I liked it fine. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's cornmeal. It's, uh, you know, <laughs> it's what oh, it yeah. is. But uh, and it probably has one subplot too many. It's a bit too long. Yeah. But in general, it's fine. I have no problem with it. Yeah. The the two co-stars in the film, Jay Thomas and Glenn Headley, sadly no longer with us, which is uh, doesn't seem like it was that long ago. But yet. Yeah. yeah but, but I remember it got a lot of uh, awards chatter. Dry Dreyfus. I remember her him being interviewed by Barbara Walters, and she was like, "Do you think you deserve to win the Oscar?" <laughs> he said, "Yes, yes, I do. This movie, this, this performance is good enough to win the Oscar, and he is good in it. He feels you get a sense of him being kind of revitalized because he has he has a life's journey that he could play. You mm-hmm. know, yeah, he does. Ninety six, White Squall, Ridley Scott, Jeff Bridges. Yeah, what do we say about that one? I I have such a." so few memories of it the ship beneath you is not a toy sailing's not a game so why the hell do it bill's character mr preston of which you are in desperately short supply they came from different places and this ocean academy isn't recognized as accredited it'll be a good thing dad they sailed for different reasons i don't want to be what i was when i left there you go Anonymous. But there was only one way. We'll do it together. I can't climb! To survive on his ship. I will challenge them, and they will come together. Become a team. We go one, we go all. Because where he was taking them... What are they doing? Claiming their place in the world. Could not be measured in miles. They thought they had survived the greatest challenge of their lives. We had come through every kind of seas imaginable. Except a white squall. But it was only... White squalls are a phenomenon of the imagination. The calm. What happened to my ship? 
ship was not imagined before the storm. I saw it and it was, you know, it was, it's one of those movies where there's two hours of, uh, and then that one sequence that you're waiting for when they hit the white squall. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's kind of like a, a perfect storm. It's like, uh, and then, you know, the inevitable big wave, that's what you're waiting for. And then it's right back to, uh, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, before and after Meryl Streep, Liam Neeson, dead son. (laughs) What more needs to be said? There you go. There's your synopsis. Oh, man. Not many more of these left. We're not going to go to present day, I don't think. Is there a present day? No, there's not. Hollywood Pictures dissolved in 2007, I think. And the releases started thinning out towards the end of the decade, so there are fewer and fewer as we go on. Spy hard. Yeah, that was, uh, you know, that that brings up something interesting. You know, it's an interesting trajectory, and this is a Leslie Nielsen film parody, uh, obviously attempt to parody the James Bond films. Great opening sequence, by the way, uh, with Weird Al, where they do a a (laughs) knockoff of the the opening James Bond themes. That's fantastic. I laughed out loud. Unfortunately, (laughs) it's all downhill from there. But, you know, I think it's interesting that Leslie Nielsen was this serious actor, never starring in any comedies, always playing serious roles. And then the Zucker brothers put him in Airplane, and he was still playing a serious role in Airplane. Mm. There was no joke. Mm. He was playing it serious. And then after the success of Airplane and, and then later the Naked Gun films, which he's also great in those two, everybody got this idea that, well, let's let's put him in some, you know, let, let's have him play up the comedic angle and so they tried to he was actually trying to be funny which is not where his strengths were at and i think spy heart is one of those examples like repossessed was another one the whole the whole thing that made his performances in naked gun airplane funny uh, was the fact that he played them seriously exactly and so when you're when you're already winking i mean that takes the comedy Mm -hmm. out of it um it's all about the attitude of delivery yeah, and it's a uh, although Spy Hard does have the distinction of having Andy Griffith as the the villain mm. film. Yeah, so. yeah, <laughs> I will give him that. Nicolette uh, Sheridan, you remember when Nicolette Sheridan was hot? Uh, all, oh, all the yes. rage at a certain oh, period yes. of time. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, okay. yeah, and it's interesting how. Yeah, you're right. It really did change the trajectory of Leslie Nielsen's career, how great he was in airplanes. So much so that when you see him in something like Nuts, which sounds like Nuts actually sounds like one of those movies that would be a Zucker Brothers movie, but it's not. It was a very serious Martin Ritt, Barbara Streisand, Richard Mm -hmm. Dreyfuss movie. Mm -hmm. And Leslie Nielsen plays the guy that rapes the call girl played by Barbara Streisand. So you're like, oh, I don't. I don't really, I can't buy this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Am I right? He did play that role, right? I think so. All right. Well, I'm sure our listeners will correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, they, the rock great action movie, I think, or, you know, at the time oh, yeah. I, I had fun with it. It's too much. Speaking of winking, I think there's a little bit too much winking in that movie. It tries to be a little too cute, but, uh, but the pr- the central premise and all the activities around it 
uh, for the most part, I think are very effective. But you know, like the hairdresser that says, "Oh, I just want to make sure you like your haircut," and like all those corny ass things that are placed in that movie are, you know, distracting. Mm-hmm. Jack. <laughs> oh boy. Francis Ford Coppola, Robin Williams, and Bill Cosby. That choice really aged well. Wasn't the finest moment for anyone involved. Uh, And I'm even including Bill Cosby in that. (laughs) I'd totally forgotten he was in that, actually. So when this movie ranks among the most unfortunate choices Bill Cosby ever made, then you know it's bad. Yes. Does it rank the the worst choices J-Lo made? Because she's in it as well. She she plays a kindergarten teacher or something, right? Yeah, a grade school teacher. Yeah. Yep. I forgot all about that. Yeah. Yep. And Diane Lane, I think, plays Robin Williams' mother. That's right. She was being cast in mother roles even then. Oh, what a sad waste. Uh, the the rich man's wife, Halle Berry. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Prefontaine in '97 was that a that was Steve James that was a Hoop Dreams director mm-hmm. that was not and that was a weird it's one of those cir- circumstances that happen sometimes when there's an unlikely subject and there happens to be two movies about the same subject yep. around the same time mm-hmm. because uh, Robert Town also came out with his movie about S- Steve Prefontaine at the time The Runner. His movie was yeah. called Without Limits, or what was it? That's correct. It's a much better movie, I think, from yeah. what I recall. Yeah. What about uh, Evita, right quick, since that was such a big, high-profile film that didn't quite do at the tail end of 96. Of course, it was playing in early 97 when it was getting a wide release. Yeah. Uh, I got to tell that you. That was a big... I got to tell you, I love Evita. I, and, yeah. And I don't, love, I don't love Evita because of Madonna. I think she's fine in it. Passable. Mm-hmm. I I think she sings very well in it. But uh uh I love Avita mostly because of Antonio Banderas. I, I walked out of Avita and I said, Man, I get it. He is a star when I saw Avita. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's pretty good. I remember again, that's another one Oliver Stone had talked about directing for years and years and years, and I think he wound up producing it, but it wound up going to Alan Parker, mm-hmm. picked up yeah, he hated Alan it. Parker. Even oh, though I think Alan yeah. Parker did a did an okay job with it. Um I think so too. And I, I did and I actually love the music. I do love the music for Evita. I think a lot of those songs are memorable for me as well, oh, yeah. at least. Definitely. Uh Gross Point Blank, they produced that. Hollywood Pictures, good movie. Yes. Still uh still holds up after all these years, for sure. Gone and... fishing. Gone fishing, oh, with Danny. Yeah. Danny Glover and uh, Joe Pesci, which we yeah, know. Whenever we think of Gone Fishing, what is the anecdote that immediately comes to our mind? Oh, the the death on the set when they were making it. Yeah. Sadly, I guess a fishing boat like failed to slow down when it was coming to shore and it hit this guy on the on mm-hmm. the crew, killed him. That's right. Hmm. And such a. If it, were, if it were a good film, you know, be, it still would be bad. But for such a, a middling film, that's even worse. So it's 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 yeah. really a horrible. Co-written thing. by J.J. Abrams. Hmm. Yeah. So why couldn't the boat have hit him? Oh. It's terrible. I don't mean that. I have nothing against J.J. Abrams. I have no opinion really of J.J. Um, 
G.I. Jane. This was a big Demi Moore production that mm-hmm. they made a lot of hay of. Ridley Scott. Yeah, I remember it did fairly well, and it was one of the last major hits that she had uh, when she was headlining films. I mean, I know she took a bit of a layoff after that, and then she tried to come back and didn't never really didn't did, you know she'd kind of lost a little bit of her momentum. I think after GI Jane, it did she never quite had that you know, what what the the mojo box office mojo she had up until that point but yeah i i remember it um there were a lot of plot contrivances about yeah. gi jane that's what i remember i remember it it um being a little bit hard to swallow during the last hour so yeah oh yeah 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 the 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 war scenes yeah and it looks like it's shot in california mm-hmm. which you know a lot of war scenes in movies are shot in California. You know, all yeah. the battle, all the battle scenes. And we were soldiers once the Bell Gibson movie. That's a decent movie. Uh, that was all shot in California. <laughs> you know, you yeah. wouldn't know it, but yeah, GI Jane, you know, it tried to be topical and it kind of beat you over the head with the women in the military. It just wasn't there. There are a lot more subtle movies that could have, uh, done better service to that issue. Yeah, I agree. I just fun. remember, you know, and, yeah, no, it was not. And I, re- I remember, you know, the whole movie is about her preparing, you know, she's in basic training and preparing to go into battle. And then just coincidentally, she gets called into battle. There's, there's, there's a need for her to put her, yeah. what she's learned into yeah, yeah, yeah. just plot. Contrivance. And the, the, and, yeah. And the, one of the, one of the central sequences in GI Jane is watching her workout. Oh yeah. And you see, you know, then she's photographed in a way that the sweat is glistening off of her voluptuous <laughs> figure. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Reminds oh. me of uh, me one of my favorite lines in a Pauline Kale review when she reviewed Top Gun. And she said Top Gun is a recruiting poster that's more concerned with being a poster than recruiting. And uh, <laughs> that's kind of what G.I. Jade yep. is as well. Uh, what, what else should we talk about uh, uh, amongst here? Anything from 97? Not really. Uh, there was a, a sad attempt at rebooting the America, uh, doing a sequel to an American werewolf in London that fell flat. And, you know, there's a couple, like I said, disposable, there's a deep rising in early 98. And then they did the, yeah, that was a thing too. The deep rising. What were some of the other ones that were underwater kind of, uh, yeah, there's a whole slew of those. Uh, there was Leviathan, Leviathan earlier, uh, back in '89, I think. And of course, uh, the Abyss is the big, you know. Uh, oh, I was just going to say, uh, we were speaking of Arthur Hiller earlier, and you know, there was an Alan Smithy film, which is supposedly directed by Arthur Hiller, and this is the uh, the film that uh, is. Supposedly, an Alan Smithy film means that the film was directed by somebody who wanted his name removed from the the credits, and then the actual director Arthur Hiller wanted his name removed from the <laughs> from the the credits because things got so bad, and he uh, was so so it became art life imitating art, I guess. Yeah, and yet he had no problem keeping his name on author author. But uh, there you go. 
now I do want to talk about this. 1998 was Simon Birch. I was very much looking forward to this movie because the book it is based on is my all-time favorite book, which is John Irving's uh, Irving. John, let me say that again. John Irving's A Prayer for Owen Meany. I read mm-hmm. that book and I thought, oh, what a tremendous book. And so I was anxious to see Simon Birch and it just came out and it was like drek. <laughs> yeah. I agree. I'm a big fan of John Irving. I obviously love The World According to Garp as a masterpiece, the novel and the film, and I was right there with you. I, I had high hopes for Simon Birch and uh, I just remember it being uh <laughs> really disappointing. And Jim Carrey like d- probably did a day at a cemetery. Mm-hmm. He was on in the intro and the outro of the movie, if I remember. Uh, just tore the guts out of a really complicated book. Yeah. Uh, the Sixth Sense was another one of their big hits. That was probably the most massive hit they ever had. It has to be. I think it was the last major hit they had because uh, I think after that, things really started getting bad for them. I don't think they ever had a major, major box office. Yeah, it was, big, it was It was twice as big as The Rock, The Sixth Sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, you got to adjust for inflation, I guess, but yeah. And it came out of nowhere. It was one of those movies that nobody anticipated it having the, the shelf life that it did or yeah. the, the staying power and people returning, you know, after, you know, the twist, people were returning to see how they, all the clues and the, um, all that, you know, the, the, the little, um, tidbits of information that they lay out throughout the film that they pay off at the end. And, you know, so yeah, it was one of those movies that had repeat value as well. Mm-hmm. So, and of course it launched the career of M night Sh- Shyamalan for better or worse. Uh, he had already done one film, had one under his belt that went nowhere, but this was the one that put him on the map. Yeah. All right. And so, you know, after that, stuff like Mystery Alaska and Gunshy and du- duets and just visiting Resident yeah. Evil and and Breakfast of Champions, which sat on the shelf for, I don't know, two oh, or three yeah. years. That was a Bruce Willis film also. And that, you know, adaptation of the Kurt Vonnegut novel, a very good one, I might add. And it just sat there for years and finally, uh, I don't know if it went straight to cable or what, but you know, anyway, huh? So there's the, uh, the highs there, and the lows. Yeah. And Bruce Willis owns a car dealership or something. That's right. Movie. Yeah. It's, it's one of those novels. I've read it. Uh, like I said, really good book. It's just one of those things you're reading it. And it's like, how could they possibly think of making this into a film? It's not because Vonnegut is not typically mm. something that's easy to adapt anyway. He's not, I mean, they, George Roy Hill did a pretty spectacular job with Slaughterhouse Five, which was an unenviable task, and he's probably the only person who was able to pull it off. But so, would you say Cadillac Man is a better movie than Breakfast Champions? (laughs) That's pretty bad too, actually. (laughs) So uh, I don't know. If you say that Made in America is a better car dealership (laughs) movie. Because he's he, <laughs> he runs the car dealership and made in America, doesn't he? Ted Danson. I think so. Yeah, 
I would rather go with used cars if I okay. have to do a car dealership film. I've got to do a I car dealership movie. That's that's the one to go with. Okay. That's the one. Absolutely. Just want to make sure. What if Still you just consider? People. What if you just consider that one scene in Psycho? Well, there's that. <laughs> there is where, that where she goes to buy a car. <laughs> well, I will say right quick that I did see the new Woody Allen film, A Rainy Day in New York. It's out there. It's the one that they were going to release straight to Amazon, and then they did not because of obvious things that were happening in the news that were topical. And uh, it's not bad. It's not bad. Uh, is It's not top-tier Woody, but it falls somewhere squarely in the middle. And, um, you know, I have to say, Selena Gomez is in the film, and at first I saw her casting in the film and i you know she's the pop star of course and i uh i saw her in the cast and i thought well i don't know about this but she's really effective in the movie i was totally surprised and um so you know better than i expected beautiful cinematography by vittorio storaro as to be expected and um so if you can find a rainy day in new york and you're a woody fan i would say seek it out and also his autobiography is out a Apropos of nothing, it's a fantastic read, I must admit. Uh, the print copies are now sold out, but I think they're reprinting it as we speak, and there are digital copies, and it is just a wonderful, wonderful read. Funny, uh, lots of insights about his creative process, and lots of great stories about the people he's known throughout his life, and uh, just great. So there are two notes, uh, two Woody Allen-related notes i wanted to mention before we signed off okay rainy day in new york check it out next time you're allowed on an airplane <laughs> and the money kept rolling in from every side Ava's pretty hands reach out and they reach wide it should have been a voluntary cause But that's not the point, my friends When the money keeps rolling in, you don't ask how Think of all the people guaranteed a good time now Eva's called the hungry to her, open up the doors Never been a fan like the foundation, never been Of the cash has gone astray, but that.
friends When the money keeps rolling out You don't keep books You can tell you've done well By the happy, grateful looks Accountants only slow things down Figures get in the way Never been a lady loved as much as Eva Perot Slow things down, figures get in the way. Never been.